Welcome to We Are Free. I am your host, Becky Morquecho, and you're listening to episode 37. This is a podcast about letting go of what we think our lives should look like and the sweet freedom God has for us on the other side of surrender. My guest today is my friend, Lisa Racer. Lisa has been married to her favorite creative, Darren, for 11 years. Together, they parent, advocate for, and generally delight in their two-year-old daughter, Grace. Grace was born with a complex congenital heart defect and spent the first 18 months of her life in the cardiovascular intensive care unit. Now she is living life to the fullest at home with great strength and resilience. In addition to parenting a beautiful, medically complex child, Lisa is an associate professor of communication studies with a particular interest in the communication of emotions, empathy, and social support. Lisa finds joy and places to exhale through Pilates, lots of prayer, and taking walks with her family in their sunny San Diego neighborhood. Hi, friend. It's so good to be sitting with you again. Hi, Becky. Thank you so much. Yeah. Lisa and I met years ago. I was thinking about it today. I don't know how many years it has been. At least, I don't know, six, seven, something like that. Uh, Years ago in the wedding photography world when... Darren and Lisa were shooting together and Jesse and I were shooting together. Um, It's been a long time, but Lisa has always been such a light and she's such an encouragement to everybody she meets. And I'm just honored to have her tell her family story today. So thanks for being here, friend. Thank you, Becky. It's such a privilege. Yeah, I remember, um, I think it must have been like five or six years ago, Jesse and I were on a road trip and we were Mm -hmm. going up the West Coast and we came to visit you guys in Arcata at the time. And the four of us were out, you know, taking pictures and running around on the cliffs and having fun. And I remember you and I were having a conversation just about like starting our families and what that might look like. And this is long before we knew anything of what God would be up to in either of our lives. And um, long before we knew anything about Vera, long before, Mm. you know, you became pregnant. Um, so Lisa, if you could just take us back a few years and kind of where your guys' story begins with Grace and when you and Darren started about talking about having a family and what that looked like and, um, when you knew you were pregnant with Grace. Yes, of course. I remember that conversation Mm -hmm. that you and I shared by the water. And actually, I think one of our husbands took a picture of us. Yes, I know that picture. Having that conversation. Yep. And so it's very special to me, Mm. um, So thank you for remembering that too. When Darren and I uh, moved to San Diego, we uh, spent um, the first kind of part of our marriage really uh, following my career in graduate school and uh, doing wedding photography together. And we always wanted to start a family. And so when we moved back to San Diego and we were uh, had our family around us, we were really excited to be able to begin that journey. And uh, we were so excited to find out uh, Grace was going to be a little girl. I, like you and Jesse, I know that you had mm-hmm. a heart for a little girl mm-hmm. and, and we did too. And so um, there were just so many kind of hopes and excitement around, around her, her, you know, coming into the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how far into your pregnancy did you learn that there might be something wrong with Grace's heart? It was at our 20 week ultrasound Mm -hmm. that, that everything changed. Yeah. What did that day look like for you guys? Mm. Well, we didn't even, we went in with 
blindsiders. We didn't know. We thought that we were going to have the sex of the baby confirmed and, and just make sure everything was good. And they uh, brought in, um, we had one ultrasound technician and she kind of struggled to get some images and said, you know, we're going to bring in somebody else. And they came in and then she said, we're going to bring in somebody else. They kept switching roles mm. and we weren't even we didn't even know to be too afraid, honestly. Yeah. And uh, they told us that um, uh, we see something and we're going to send you to a genetics counselor and across the street. And so we were just so kind of afraid and didn't know what that meant. And we left our pictures behind of the ultrasound, they had to come and run and you forgot your pictures. And we just didn't even know where to go. And we found ourselves in a very uh, tiny cubicle without any Kleenex um, that was um, where there was a genetics counselor who kind of sat us down and told us about uh, Grace's heart defect. Mm -hmm. And they didn't quite even know what it was yet. That kind of took a little time uh, to meet with a cardiologist and to really kind of solidify uh, what kind of heart defect it was. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I didn't even know know too much about it, right? So yeah. I thought that, oh, well, with a heart defect, like I, it c that can be fixed, right? right? And as we learned more, um, we found out that Grace's specific heart defect, which is called hypoplastic left heart syndrome, is something that requires a three-stage surgery it's a series of palliations, really. And so the heart, in her case, can never actually be fixed. Um, it's, it's, they can um, get it to a place where it is something that folks can live with, mm -hmm. but it is, it's not something that can be fixed, and it requires three open-heart surgeries. Uh, Grace has had one of those so far. Okay. And so, yeah. So you guys walk out of there, you're still probably feeling like shocked and like disheveled or I mean, just kind of taken mm -hmm. by surprise. Mm -hmm. um, what did mm -hmm. those next days and weeks look like for you and Darren, um, mm -hmm. just for your marriage and just mm -hmm. your relationship with God? Like, where were you at? Yeah, Darren really was such a rock for me in those moments for both me and, and for my family as well. I was supposed to take off on a conference the next day and just had to take some time at home instead and make that decision. And one thing I remember is that the genetics counselor said to us over and over, I'm sorry for this bad news. You know, I'm sorry for this bad news. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because um, she had also told us at that time that she thought uh, that Grace had Down syndrome. And so, which didn't actually end up being the case. We had a lot of genetics testing after that. And so when she kept saying, I'm sorry for this bad news, Darren helped me reframe that. And he said, this is, this is not bad news. This is, this is hard news, you know, that this is, this is hard. This is something that we're going to have to learn a lot about and it's going to be different than maybe the visions or expectations that we held before, but this is not bad. And so really kind of turning, um, I, I just, I just felt a lot of 
kind of tenderness and care mm. towards towards him and our, our family unit, like that we're going to get through this together. And just a lot of intimacy with God that really grew throughout the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I think I just felt so much in my heart that I just wanted to turn to God in every moment, that I wanted to be continually um, in prayer uh, for this baby uh, because we didn't know exactly, you know, how her heart was going to affect her in utero and what that might mean in terms of her overall health. Mm-hmm. So having that frame shifting perspective was essential. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Darren's a mm-hmm. smart guy and he's got such a big heart. No, I love that mm-hmm. so much. I, mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Grace was born. Tell me a little bit about when she was born and what that day was like for you guys too. Oh, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. We just went into an appointment for an ultrasound. It was a Friday late afternoon and we had a, an, we had had so many ultrasounds by that point, so many different tests. And at this one, I remember the doctor told us, this is worrisome, what I'm seeing. This is worrisome, which was words that were very frightening. And he said, we're going to send you over um, to the hospital and we're going to keep you this weekend. You may be able to go home after that, but what I'm seeing on the images, I think uh, we need more monitoring. What was he and saying so, that was What was he seeing that was worrisome? He was seeing um, some kind of edema or swelling okay. on her neck, which can be a sign of of heart failure, early heart failure, and so. We checked in to labor and delivery and kind of spent the night there and we were going to have an ultrasound the next morning on Saturday. And so I had another ultrasound and they, the doctor there determined that uh, Grace's heart rate was slowing down. And she said, I think, I think we need to deliver this baby now. And it was, a shock. I remember I just started crying because I just didn't feel ready mm-hmm. and it felt all a blur and I had to sign paperwork and I was misspelling my name. I just didn't, it felt so chaotic. Yeah. And they said, we're going to take you back to your room and kind of get you prepped and take about 10 minutes. And so Darren was like calling my parents and they took me back to my room and Apparently, you know, they put an oxygen mask on me. I remember I said, we need, we need to get oxygen to your baby. And they, the heart rate, her heart rate was dropping further. And they said, we can't even wait 10 minutes. We have to go now. And so they pulled Darren, who was on the phone with my parents and said, we're going now. And I just remember it was such a blur that it, it felt like a scary movie in which the nurses were literally running, pushing me in the bed. And I remember getting in the elevator and they, the labor and delivery nurses kind of sent me, you know, they couldn't go past mm-hmm. into the OR. And I remember one of the nurses saying, we're praying for you, Lisa. Mm-hmm. And, and then I went in and, um, and it, it was very scary. I remember I was shaking. So there was so much, um, that I, I just didn't know what was going to happen and I wasn't expecting it. You know, I thought I was going to be, um, she was five weeks early. So I thought I was going to have more time and I definitely didn't expect my birth experience to go like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, were you, so it was worrisome. You delivered her. Like what, what happened after that? Were they Mm. able, was she okay? What, what happened? Yeah. So they, they briefly held her up through the kind of screen. So I saw her just briefly and they took her immediately. So there was a team from the pediatric hospital who came over. There is a tunnel of sorts. They call it a tunnel, but it's actually kind of like a 10 minute walk through a lot of corridors Mm -hmm. and they took Darren with them. So Darren went with Grace. Uh, They intubated her immediately so that because she wasn't uh, breathing. So they gave her support and they took her over to the next door children's hospital kind of down the street. Yeah. And so then I was uh, by myself. Uh, My parents came, thankfully, they had driven down quickly from North County, San Diego, and um, I was able to be with them. But I didn't see Grace until the next day. Okay. That must have been so hard. It was. It was. Uh, but it was also scary, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, you know, I didn't get to hold her. So it felt very disconnected in my mind that I didn't have that sensation of like, oh, we're bonded and now she's being taken. It was just like she was, I was pregnant and then I wasn't. And, um, they, I was in a room, I was put on a floor where I think, um, thankfully they, they didn't have a lot of newborns. I think it was a lot of mothers who were recovering from delivery, probably hard ones for a lot of different reasons. Um, so I didn't hear any babies crying, but I heard a lot of mothers crying through Mm. the walls. And that was, that was really hard. I was kind of like by myself because Darren would have to go be with Grace in the other hospital. And I just heard women crying. And so that, that was really challenging too. It was a very emotional time. Yeah. Goodness. Lisa, I know we don't have nearly enough time to talk about the 18 months that Grace Mm -hmm. was um, just in the cardiovascular intensive care unit, but can you give us just an idea of what that looked like for your, for you guys in your life? Like she, she lived there and, Mm -hmm. um, how did you guys deal with that? Oh, it's bizarre. The ICU is a place of a lot of extremes. There's a lot of loss. There's also a lot of hope. There's a lot of prayer. I remember my mom said early on, that, gosh, God, God must hear a lot of prayers in these walls. That, that there's just a lot of extremes going on. So Darren and I bore witness to a lot of tragedy, both our both of our own in terms of we had a handful of near-death experiences for Grace in, in that ICU where we were physically present, um, sometimes right there, sometimes in the corner of the room because her bed was surrounded by doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists. And then also uh, witnessing the pain of others and, and other families. And it was so strange, too, because after essentially living life there for a year and a half, so you know, Grace's first admission was 11 months after she was born. And then uh, we actually came home for 10 days, 10 very scary days. We found out later that she was really struggling physically. And so um, 
we brought her back and then she was there another seven months. Okay. And so there were some times where it wasn't as intense. And so she was, you know, recovering, but we were still in the ICU and we lived life there. Uh, I, I still had to go to work. What did that look like? Like, what does a day-to-day look like? I don't... Oh, yeah. After maternity leave was over, I started Mm -hmm. back teaching again. And I would teach my classes in the morning. And then I would go straight to the hospital. So we only slept at home. We would eat, sleep and eat breakfast at home. Then I would go to work. And then I would go straight to the ICU. Um, We ate most of our meals at the Ronald McDonald House. Uh, And so maybe for those of you listening, the Ronald McDonald House is a uh, nonprofit organization that provides meals and housing for families who have a child who is inpatient at the Children's Hospital. And it is an incredible resource. And I think we probably ate, I don't know, 600, 700 meals there. Yeah. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Lunches and dinners and we were so thankful for their support. So I would come after work. I would have lunch at the Ronald McDonald House. I would spend the rest of the day with Grace and Darren in the ICU. And I'd probably go home about 10 at night and go to bed and then start Do it the all day over. over again. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was just so weird because it felt like a second workplace. Mm-hmm. Like I would, you know, it's kind of like you get to know people and you're like, oh, how was your vacation? Or, oh, you got a haircut. You know, it's just like this surreal world where that you're so a part of. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was just, just bizarre, just yeah. bizarre. But I, I think, you know, doing life there and thinking about, I remember one time I was about to um, go home. And I was kind of thinking about what I was going to teach the next morning. And I was thinking about work and I, out the corridor, I followed a family who was wheeling their child for a heart down to the OR for a heart transplant. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what, you know, what is this world? You know, this is so different. Here I am like kind of thinking, mulling over a work dilemma Mm -hmm. and, and and they're going down for open heart surgery and mm-hmm. and we're all in here together like living life this is very strange yeah so it was a very different experience um, but very eye opening as well yeah what were the doctors saying what was their um take on grace on her life on her condition her diagnosis what were mm. they telling you yeah you know it's it's interesting because they weren't They've never been really sure. Grace has been an enigma to them all along. Um, Grace has a, you know, I said in the beginning that they thought maybe that she had Down syndrome and and she didn't. We found out when she was a month old that Grace has something called Kabuki syndrome. And we found that out through a full genome sequencing. It's a syndrome that affects the individual genes. And so it wasn't Um, diagnosed through the chromosomal testing that we had in utero. And uh, Kabuki syndrome is known to be in about one in every 32,000 births. So it's, it's pretty rare. And um, so we, Grace was the first person that I have ever met with Kabuki syndrome. And I have had the privilege of being able to to meet some other children since then, which has been such a blessing. But because of that um, particular syndrome and the way that it presents in the body for people so differently, our medical team was just brought a lot of uncertainty. And they told us, you know, we can't find anyone in the literature who has, you know, 
this particular syndrome with this heart defect, with low birth weight, we just can't. Like that um, combination of things. Yeah, yeah. And so there have been times where our medical team has not been very positive about Grace's prognosis and has lost hope for her. And so we have found ourselves, Darren and I as parents, in a place of a lot of advocacy for her and really turning to God for discernment. And we have sensed through discernment and through prayer at a lot of different points in our journey that grace was not always showing us and what sometimes the medical team was saying that it didn't quite line up Mm -hmm. that we would think to ourselves, you know, this is a girl who is, who is showing us that she's still fighting. And we were given the privilege of being able to have a voice for her to a, a large medical team. Grace has a lot of different specialists. I believe it. Yeah. And so um, we have found ourselves many different times in front of big conference tables full of medical professionals and full of specialists where we have outlined our questions, our convictions, our hopes, and been in the often intimidating place of having to express those to experts in the medical field and to have a voice for our family and to have a voice for grace, which is at times conflicted yeah. with their professional opinion. And so that those have been some of the scariest times. How were they receptive? They have always been supportive okay. in hearing us. I feel like we have a really excellent medical team and they give us their best insights and their best work of research and their best experience. And so, yeah, I think they've been uh, open, always open to hearing us, Mm -hmm. um, but maybe not always um, foreseeing the same outcomes. Yeah. How do you, Lisa, wanting to um, just like lean into the hope of the Lord. Like, how do you take on that posture of hope? What does that mean for you and Darren, like in your day-to-day, in your decisions, in your actions, in your words? Like, what does that look like for you to carry that? Because that is a big thing to carry that with you. Yeah, I love that you use that phrase, posture of hope, because that is actually a phrase that we have used to communicate part of our journey. And so after one of our particular meetings last summer, and last summer was a really hard, a really hard summer for Grace and our family. And we, uh, Darren and I decided to write out our goals of care for Grace for our medical team so that everyone was clear and we were clear about what our hopes were. And we said at the top of that piece of paper that we were taking a posture of hope for Grace. And so what we have found is that um, 
And this has become more and more clear as we are continuing on this journey, we're continuing to grow in this, but that storytelling has really become part of our advocacy for her. And one way that we found this is we decided to, last summer, we we posted some pictures Darren had taken some photographs of Grace when she was at home for those 10 short days. And we posted them over Grace's crib in the hospital. And the response of people was so tangible. They would say, oh, look at her. You know, oh, she's outside. You know, it it shifted the perspective of, of from this is an ICU baby to this is a child who has quality of life and has potential for much more quality of life. And we were struck by how those images touched people and how how beautiful that God has orchestrated our gifts and abilities in a way to be able to tell stories. So Darren being a visual artist mm-hmm. and a photographer and and I study communication and so being able to advocate for grace I remember before one of these really important meetings my very wise sister-in-law uh, told me she was like what if all what if all of your training and all of your preparation in communication was all for this moment, like to have a voice for this beautiful soul that you created. And it struck me that God has been preparing us for this all along. This is, this is not new in his eyes, right? That he's been preparing us to be able to communicate and to share story. And we're continuing to do that work now that Grace is home. Uh, we send pictures, we send videos of Grace doing her thing mm-hmm. and, and living life at home to our medical team. And it's a way to build connection. And it's also advocacy. We want them to see her enjoying quality of life because we believe that that, that perspective is so powerful. Yeah. And so, and so we're continuing to do that work, which has been uh, felt really important to us. Yeah. Have you been able to uh, build relationships with other families who have been in the ICU and like and just give each other hope? And how, what has that looked like? Yes, yes, we are we are in a few different communities actually because Grace has has a lot of different presentations. So the heart community is one and one that we've been able to build a lot in person through the ICU. And some of those um, have been online connections and others have been in person. And um, and then also uh, Grace has a tracheostomy and is ventilator dependent. And so there's a whole uh, kind of community uh, built around that. And so we've been able to make some connections there. And also in the, in the family of community of Kabuki syndrome, we've mm-hmm. been able to actually um, be able to meet some people in person and and that has been really wonderful as well. And it's, and, and when your child is in the ICU, it's, it's just incredible how different barriers, like even language barriers are able to be crossed. So I, you know, I met this mom over the summer who 
mostly only spoke Spanish. And I speak just a little bit, you know, just remembering back from college. But we worked so hard using Google Translate and, and talking to each other. And before she left with her daughter, she brought a little rosary that she hung over Grace's crib. And we did a lot of communication, not through nonverbal expression and through uh, the limited similar language that we had to be able to support one another and just to find that connection. So uh, God has really provided through the connection of people. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So what, why was it okay for Grace to come home after, so she, you said she had 10 days at home after 11 months that weren't so great. And then she was back right. for seven months. Um, how, mm-hmm. but they let her go. They let her back with you guys. Yes. Um, yes. Where is she at? How is she doing? How come it's okay for her to be home now? Well, it's interesting because those 10 days we learned out, we learned later that the ICU act- team actually like gave a round of applause during their medical rounds that Grace had been home for 10 days. (laughs) Like they, they like, they thought that that was a big deal. Um, and so, yeah, Darren and I have done a lot of preparation. There's a ton of, um, both emergency training that we've had to do a a lot having to do with Grace's airway and lurking, learning a care for her, um, tracheostomy. So we've done, just months of preparation, giving medication and learning about her. And so there is a whole checklist that you have to pass um, and that we had to go through. We had to do different, uh, they call them 24-hour passes. Okay. We did several of those. We did several 12-hour passes where you demonstrate your proficiency in being able to care for your child, uh, which is hard. It's a very humbling experience um, because you think about, how other folks might be able to just kind of take their child home from the hospital. So it was humbling, but also we are very thankful for all the training that we received. Mm -hmm. And she's been at home now for uh, over five months going on six, which just blows my mind every day. And I have been so surprised and so humbled over and over again by this process. Like I, there were definitely times where I thought, I don't think I can have her at home. Like, I don't know if I can care for her. Like, I am not a nurse. I did not, I did not go to school to become yeah. a nurse. Like, I just don't, how can I do this? And through this experience, I think God has really shaped me and also built some more trust in myself and confidence in myself that a lot of times at first I'm really hesitant. I have to take my time and feeling like I can really do these things. And um, I'm even in a place right now with that where we have to, um, for the first time, give Grace some, it's kind of like a shot or injection for uh, immunotherapy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. You know, here I am again in this, oh, I don't know if I can poke her. And so I'm I'm working through that process again um, and just uh, praying that God will give me the resource and the the strength to be able to care for her in the ways that she needs to be Mm -hmm. cared for, even though it's often, it's often uncomfortable for me. It's, it's different. It's different. Yeah. Um, So tell me about your day-to-day now with you and Darren and Grace at home. What do you guys do? Tell us about your little girl. Tell us, rave about your child. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thank you for asking that question mm. about the day-to-day life. I find the day-to-day life, I find that to be a really supportive question. I think I think especially uh, for I, myself and other families and medically complex or fragile children, the day-to-day life is so different and I don't think we often get asked about it. And so I really appreciate that question. It's um, So to say something about our day-to-day life and then to talk about grace, uh, our day-to-day life, uh, it really kind of starts at night. So because uh, Grace uses a ventilator to support her breathing, uh, either Darren and I need to stay up with her. So we split night shifts. And so I uh, stay up first and then we switch about 2.30 a.m. And then he is with her and I go to bed. So, and her sleep is pretty fragmented anyway. Uh, she sleeps kind of like a newborn. And so she's, uh, we're, we're still kind of adjusting and working on that. And as a whole, we're very tethered to Grace's care. So she receives medications every two hours um, throughout the 24-hour day. So we have alarms on our, our watches mm-hmm. and we are continually kind of thinking about that. Um, during the day, we do something called trait care where we um, remove the ties and, and clean around her neck as we give her a bath and that sort of thing. Um, every day we love to take her out on a walk. Getting outside has been so important. We think both for her, but also for us as a family and just for our mental health, getting outside is just, it's been our favorite part of the day. She's so calm. She loves to look up at the trees and the sky. You feel like she knows a difference? I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And so that's a very special part of our day. And, and, and then holding her and just giving her all the love we can. We have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of to do's as well. Um, about once a week, we have at least one medical appointment for her a week. You know, next week we've got four, you know, so it just <laughs> kind of goes up and down. And we have a lot of goals like written on our whiteboard of different physical therapy or occupational therapy goals we might do. And, you know, if we get to half of those in a day, I call it a win. Yeah. You know, it's just yes. about trying to give her as much experience as possible. Yeah. But Grace as a whole has been such a good teacher. I think she is somebody who has taught me so much and Darren so much and our families and her medical team. And she is a really kind of neat juxtaposition of being very sweet and sensitive and tender, but also really strong and resilient and gritty. And so seeing those parts of her together, I don't think anyone could have predicted that she would have been here at home, doing her thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> living life, at turning two years old next week. I just, there were many points along our journey where our medical team said, we think, we think there isn't a path forward. And so being able to continue to have hope and to advocate for, we, we think there's more here. You know, we're listening to grace And that's what they always tell us to do. You know, we listen to God, we listen to Grace. What is she telling us? Mm -hmm. One of my favorite parts about Grace is that, so she's nonverbal, but she finds so many different ways to communicate. And one of my favorite is that she gives little kisses when when she sees something that she likes and when she feels happy and relaxed. And 
I, I love that about her. So she finds ways to be able to express herself, that's which is oh, so such a great cool. Connection. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Um, you said that she had, so she's supposed to have three surgeries and she's mm-hmm. had one so far. What do, what does that lineup look like on a timeline or yeah. yeah, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. So we don't know. Okay. This is a, this is a, a typically there's a more kind of trajectory in terms of, you know, this many months you may experience the surgery with grace. She had a different kind of open heart surgery in the beginning. And so, um, we don't know. We are, the most important thing is that um, her lung health increases. And so that is what we are praying for is that she, her lungs might strengthen, which will give her uh, more opportunity for being able to move forward with her heart palliations. So this is a day by day, week by week, following her. Um, she gets echocardiograms every other week. And so we're just tracking that how her heart function is doing. And we are so thankful that it's just been stable without any changes right now. So the answer is it's unknown completely. Yeah. Which I'm sure you're kind of used to at this point. Just the unknowns. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We've had a lot lot of practice. It doesn't make it easier, but it's, it's become more, okay, we've done this before. What can we use from our learning in the past to be able to uh, influence us moving forward? Yeah. Lisa, Mm -hmm. what has been, I'm sure this is difficult because I know there's a lot of things. um, What has been just the biggest challenge for you personally um, throughout this journey that your family has had um, throughout the diagnosis, throughout the care, um, throughout the fear, like where, what's just been the hardest thing for you? Mm -hmm. Fear has been a big one and working through that and working towards choosing hope. And I think that's kind of an overarching, like the the worry and the fear is always kind of present. And I would say on the day-to-day level, it might be more of the isolation uh, and maybe even the social comparison. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here in front of our window, in front of our house. And I'll, sometimes I'll see moms or families walk by with a baby in a stroller and just maybe a diaper bag. And I think to myself, oh, that looks so easy. (laughs) And when we take Grace out, we take, you know, if we take her somewhere in the car, we've got three oxygen tanks, you know, we're loading all her accessories. And, And so there is, there is some of that that comes up for me that I'm, I'm always wanting to be aware of and really thinking, okay, that's a different story. Um, I, I wanted parts of that story that I, that I thought um, in terms of having a healthy child, but there's also been so much blessing and grace teaching me and growing me that, that I would never trade back. Yeah. What do you mm. feel that God has set you free from or is setting you free from? Maybe not totally, but something yeah. that you feel him working on in your life. Mm-hmm. Cause it's a work in progress, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think, I think God is, is setting me free and helping me set, set me free from a mothering story that is solely framed by loss 
I think he is really helping me to see the beauty in our story. And even just recently, Darren made a a video for me for Mother's Day that had all these pictures from when Grace was first born in the hospital, some photos I hadn't seen, some I hadn't remembered. And I watched that video. He set it to music and it was so lovely. And I watched that as if I were watching from the perspective of a really dear close friend and looking in at my story. And I saw it in new eyes and I just thought, wow, how courageous. Like, wow, how beautiful. And it, it took, and it takes some of that stepping back and reflecting at times to be able to really see like, oh, there has been loss in my story, right? That, you know, there are things that I have felt loss over in not having a healthy child, but God is setting me free from only seeing that perspective. You know, that's just one piece. And I've grieved that and probably will continue in certain ways. It reemerges, but more and more he has given me freedom to find the beauty in the story and, and to see it, to see it like a dear friend would see it. You know, I think sometimes it feels like, gosh, we were in the hospital so long, or it almost feels a little like embarrassing or different. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, that I can see it as courageous has been great freedom for me. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. I think, um, whether any mother, whatever their motherhood story looks like, I feel like that's mm-hmm. such an encouragement to um, see because it's not always what we think it's going to look like. Um, right. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. good. Thank you for sharing that, Lisa. And thank you just for sharing your heart and your story and what a light and how much hope you guys are filled with. And we're mm-hmm. continuing to pray for grace and for you guys and all of your hearts in, in all of this. We love you guys so much. Love you too, Becky. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah.